0: Thank you very much, uh, Daniel. Thanks very much to the German Historical Institute for hosting us this evening. Thanks to everybody for coming out. Uh, as I usually do in instances like this, I write a paper, and then I find out how long I have to speak. <laughs> and the two don't necessarily coincide very well. So I have a paper, but I won't read it because I only have 40 to 45 minutes to speak. And it would take me longer than that to read this, but I'm happy to share this paper with anyone who wants to send me an email. So let me start. Uh, I'll start, first of all, with the title, with a few words of uh, caution, as I usually do. Uh, This is not a talk about Jews and Muslims. It's a talk only about Jews. Uh, There were Muslim slave laborers from North Africa who were present in the Channel Islands during the period of occupation. And you can find lists of those who died uh, under the Nazi jackboot in the islands. And that's part of the history of the Channel Islands and the occupation that probably needs to be written, but it's not my topic tonight. Uh, this is for those of you who don't know what the Channel Islands are or who forget, or who only see them on the weather map on the BBC uh, morning broadcast. Uh, I'm not going to speak about Alderney tonight because Alderney was uh, depopulated by the Germans soon after the invasion in 1940. The entire civilian population was removed and (coughs) Alderney became basically a slave labor camp where parts of the Atlantic wall were uh, constructed and German naval repair facilities were constructed. So I'm only going to talk about Jersey, Guernsey, and Sark, which is where... uh, Native, in very common. Uh, Jewish individuals were present. So that's me. nobody cares and get to the important stuff. The islands were uh, <coughs> evacuated in June and July of 1940 as Nazi forces swept through the Low Countries and into France. As you could see from the map, uh, France and the Channel Islands are very close together. There was a fear that the German invasion was imminent and mass movements of the civilian populations of Jersey, Guernsey, and Sark took place uh, and people were put on boats and they went to England to be safe from the German invasion. And the people on those boats included most of the Jewish individuals who were resident in the islands at the time. So, the vast majority of Channel Island Jews left before the Germans arrived in June of 1940, June of 1940. Uh, but some individuals who were identified as Jews uh, remained behind. And <coughs> as I will hopefully uh, illustrate in what follows. The fate that they suffered is not the fate that is recorded in the dominant historical narrative of the occupation of the Channel Islands. The dominant historical narrative, I'm going to quote from Michael Gins, who's the leading proponent and the leading local historian, who's obsessed with German bunkers. (laughs) He has has an obsession with concrete and gun sizes, uh, and other things don't seem to interest him so much. But he has written about the Jews of the Channel Islands, and he has said, uh, despite the threat and numerous restrictions placed upon them, nothing much actually happened to British Jews in the Channel Islands. Well, I'm going to demonstrate, I hope tonight, that quite a few things did actually happen to the Jews of the Channel Islands, and that this myth that nothing much happened uh, is, in fact, not true. I also want to underline, before I move on, that Jins here uses what has become a classical ploy in the narration of these events by people who don't uh, necessarily uh, share my view of the world. He says nothing much actually happened to British Jews in the Channel Islands. And he makes this distinction, which operates again in the historical narratives, between British Jews and non-British Jews in the Channel Islands. Now, that's a pernicious distinction for a number of reasons, which I hope uh, will become clearer as we go through uh, the rest of uh, my presentation this evening, Uh, because the Germans didn't care if someone was a British Jew or a non-British Jew, they just cared that someone was or wasn't a Jew. Uh, But, and as we'll see, British Jews suffered uh, precisely the same fate as non-British Jews, because this was not a distinction that operated. But it's a distinction which operates in these historical narratives and one uh, which we need to be constantly aware of. But let's now cut to the chase. The Germans arrive in Jersey, Guernsey, and Sark. In charge of Jersey and Guernsey are the bailiffs, who are representatives of... His Britannic Majesty, and who also operate at this point in time as lieutenant governors as well, because the governors have been removed in the mass evacuation. So the bailiffs fulfill a judicial, an executive, and a legislative function in Jersey and Guernsey. They are the bosses. They're Alexander Coutanche in Jersey and Victor Carey in uh, Guernsey. And the Dame of Sark and her husband, because Sark is a special case the constitutional uh, specialness of Sark. The bailiffs are in charge of the government, and the bailiffs are instructed by London to stay in the islands, to deal with the occupiers, and to protect the local populations as best they can under these circumstances. And that is uh, allegedly what they do although as I hope to show that's not necessarily what they did uh, in relation to those uh, members of the civilian population that as to find those Jews this is an ad from the Jersey Evening Post, the same ad occurred in the uh, Guernsey Evening Post in the early autumn late September early October 1940 basically two months after the Germans had arrived Uh, and the Germans uh, went to the bailiff and said here is the order relating to Jews the first order relating to Jews and the second order relating to Jewish property those orders were presented to the royal courts which are the legislative bodies of Jersey and Guernsey and with one exception They were passed without objection. Jurat Lane, Abraham Lane from Guernsey, said, we can't do this because this violates every principle of British constitutional government. We cannot allow to enter into Guernsey law these types of legal measures, which are aimed at segregating, identifying, and punishing people based on what he called But that's it, that's the objection that occurred. It's the only one, there was no objection in Jersey. These decrees went to the royal courts, they were published, they became part of domestic law. And these ads appeared in the local newspapers, essentially saying two things. First one is, everyone who is a Jew needs to present themselves and to be registered as a Jew. And the second thing is, all properties belonging to Jews need to be identified, and if they're commercial enterprises, they need to carry the Jewish undertaking, sign. So it was a two-pronged attacking of Jewish property, and aimed at identifying Jewish individuals. In Jersey, Clifford Orange, who was the chief aliens officer, that is, the person who was in charge of foreigners and registering foreigners, was given the technical task of registering Jewish individuals and the Attorney General Duray Oban was given the job of dealing with Jewish businesses. <coughs> In Guernsey, the chief police officer, Schroffer, who was also the chief aliens officer, uh, ex officio, was given the job of identifying Jewish individuals and he did so for Sark as well. Uh, and so, The process took place. Individuals were ordered, if they were Jews, to present themselves to the alien's office or to the police by the date identified in the ads and to provide the information that's asked for uh, in those ads. This is the first person who presented herself, Hedy Versu. Hedy Versu is very interesting. I won't go into the details of her story, but two years later, Hedy Bersou was involved in stealing petrol from the Germans to give to uh, the local resistance. Uh, the Germans found out about her and she went into hiding. And she was given shelter by an island resident and she lived for about two years hiding from the Germans. And she was saved. And she was the last, she was the last living Jewish survivor from the Channel Islands. She died last year. But so Hetty Bersu is the first person who showed up to register herself. This is her uh, registration file. I'm sorry if you can't uh, necessarily read it because it's these are old and very fragile documents. But essentially, Hetty Versu isn't a Jew. Because the, Jew, the definition of Jew in the first order is someone, either someone who has practiced the Jewish religion, or someone with three or more Jewish grandparents. That's the technical legal definition. Hetty Bursu tells a story, and all of these forms, you'll see the handwriting will look remarkably similar, because Clifford Orange filled all of these in himself. He sat there, he asked them questions in his office. And he filled in the form for everyone and then asked them to sign it. And he gives little uh, annotated comments, uh, helpfully telling people, uh, for example, that uh, Church of England is Christian. I suppose that was to pass on to the Germans, you might not know if that was the case, or it might have been a comment on the <coughs> other. Hetty Berseud's form says, if you can't read it, Miss Hetty Berseo has stated that she is an illegitimate child and that she has never known who her father was, that her mother subsequently married a Romanian Jew, that her mother was originally Protestant but adopted her husband's religion. So she doesn't even know who her grandparents are. So technically speaking, she can't necessarily. By definition, she's not a Jew. And I'll come back to that argument in a minute. This is Marianne Blanquier. She's an interesting character as well. Uh, She's Dutch by birth. And she was married to uh, Edmund Blampied, who was a a well-known Jersey artist. It was collected by the German officers uh, who occupied Jersey. And it was quite a market for Blampied paintings. You can see, for example, there's a difference in the writing here because she's the only one who filled in her own form. And there's an argument that's been made that the reason for that is that she was married to a very wealthy and powerful member of the Jersey community, and that Clifford Orange was quite respectful of class differences, uh, and so uh, she was asked to, to fill this in herself. Uh, as you can see, there's no information insofar as Marianne Blancpied is concerned. She doesn't have any religion doesn't give any information about her family. There's nothing on this form, which is the information that Island officials and German officials had to indicate that she has any religious or <coughs> racial heritage at all. She lived out the occupation without being deported, but she was required on a regular basis to uh, give up her radio set, if she owned one, to declare her financial interests all under anti-Jewish German orders, which followed on the first two. This is Nathan Davidson. I'm going to come back to Nathan Davidson a little bit. Uh, He was born in Romania. He puts on his religion that he was a Christian. And he stated he has always belonged to the Christian community. And so far as he is aware, his father did also believes that one of his grandparents was a Jew, but knows nothing of the others. So again, there is no evidence here that he practiced a Jewish religion, or that he had three or more Jewish grandparents. But he still presented himself for registration, and Clifford Orange took down the details. He didn't tell him to go away. He didn't say the definition requires three Jewish grandparents. You're not a Jew. Go away. He just filled in the form. So that's nathan davidson we, as i said we will come back to nathan davidson this is john max finkelstein he again is an interesting character uh, he spent he's of all of the jews from jersey he's the only jew who went to a concentration camp he went to Theresienstadt sat in buchenwald after he was deported he survived the war he came back uh, and became a British citizen in 1947. That's him. He was born in Romania. Uh, he's a retired Egyptian government official. He worked for the Egyptian railway and then retired on his pension uh, too, which caused all sorts of problems. But again, I'm going to that. And he put down again as his religion, Church of England, and added to that is Christian. There's, again, there's nothing here to indicate that he's Jewish, except that under family status, unlike every other form, where it's wife, or single, or married, which one would expect in the normal government-type bureaucratic form, that would be the information you would put. Under family status, Clifford Orange has included for uh, John Max Finkelstein, that he is the son of Solomon and Sarah Finkelstein, uh, which in the island of mine, of course, is Jewish sounding names, uh, which we'll come back to again, because that's quite important. That's Hein Goldman. Hein Goldman was born in Birmingham in 1869. He was a beekeeper and a gardener, and... Again, I'll come back to him in a minute. As you can see, he lists under religion Judaism. He's the only person of the registered Jews in any of the Channel Islands to indicate that he was religiously Jewish. No one else did this. Heim Goldman, for whatever reason, uh, did maybe if he knew what was going to happen to him. He might have changed his mind. This is Margaret Herban. She's equally interesting. She's an Austrian, so therefore she was, by this time, German. Uh, And she was married to Hans Herban, who was German. Uh, And Hans Herban's file is very interesting. I won't go into that tonight, but he was was a baker, and he was drafted into the German army on the island to bake for them. Uh, And his personnel file contains various entries for his address, and they also contain information about his wife, and they have separate addresses, and the official form from the Vermont says that he cannot rejoin his wife because she is not an area, and that's the reason they have different addresses. So, this is uh, Margaret, who again survives the war. She stated that her father and her Mater- paternal grandparents were Jews, so two Jewish grandparents. Her mother and maternal grandparents were Roman Catholics, as far as she is aware. So again, she also doesn't meet this uh, technical legal test. This is Esther Paul and Lloyd. I have a chapter on her in the book. Uh, she went to Germany and then convinced them to send her back to Jersey <laughs> from the camp. I mean, she's, it's, it's an amazing story. Uh, she's English. She born in London, and she, the, the narrative from Clifford Aron says, Mrs. Lloyd has stated that she renounced the Jewish faith before her marriage to Mr. Lloyd, who holds the Protestant faith, and her children are being brought up as Protestants. Both Mrs. Lloyd's parents are Jews. So, from that narrative at least, like Heim Goldman, she fits the technical legal definition. Because she has practiced the Jewish religion and also she has four Jewish grandparents. So she is a Jew. I don't have a picture of Teresa Mars, unfortunately. Uh, she died in December. So she died two months after this uh, happened. She was she was old and ill. Uh, you'll see that the forms indicate that she was a Christian. It doesn't say anything about her parents or her grandparents. Uh, So again, there's no information on which island authorities could have uh, operated uh, to describe her as being Jewish. That's Samuel Selig Simon, who was apparently quite a character. Uh, He was born in Jersey. He was a native. He's the only, uh, at this point in time, he's he's the only living native Jersey Jew (coughs) who have been registered under this process. Uh, he says here that his religion is Church of England. And he doesn't know anything about his parents or his grandparents. So again, he doesn't fit the definition. That's Ruby Still. She's the daughter of Teresa Marx. And the only reason she was in Jersey was because her mother was too ill to get on the boat to go to England. She was deported to Germany eventually, along with many other uh, Islanders. Uh, she says she's Christian, she's a married woman, she was born in Leeds, it's English obviously, uh, and there's no other information about whether she was Jewish or not Jewish. So, that's Jersey. Now we'll turn to Guernsey. This is a letter from uh, school for Who's the uh, police chief there? And he identifies five people who are Jews four in Guernsey and one on Sark. Elizabeth Dukeman and Elder Bruard married to British citizens and are therefore British citizens themselves. Uh, and throughout the occupation, they insisted that they weren't Jewish but they were included on the list uh, as Jews. And you'll see the two German Jews, Theresa Steiner and August Spitz, who work in the local hospital. Uh, I'll come back to them. And Annie wernowski who lives on Sark. Annie's an interesting story as well. But you can see that uh, Guernsey is a much smaller place. It had sort of fewer residents, generally speaking. It had fewer, residents identified as Jews, and they were identified as Jews by the police. And then this information was handed over to the bailiff, who then handed it over to the Germans. The same mechanism operated in Jersey with Clifford Orange, who reported directly to the bailiff, who reported directly to the field command office of the Germans. And throughout, what they did was they transmitted information. They didn't actively, except for Clifford Aronch, who actively sought out other information. But I'm not go into that now. They didn't seek out Jews. They asked the Jews to report themselves. They took down the information. They put it in their files, and they sent a copy to the Germans. And then they waited to see what the next thing they would have to do would be. There's Elda, she was deported to Germany as well. There's Elizabeth Dukman, she was also deported to Germany. There's August Spitz, there's Theresa Steiner, and here's the letter from Sark that there's only one Jew. It's Annie Ranofsky, who was a Czech national, and therefore she became sort of stateless. Uh, because she wasn't in Bohemia, or Moravia, or any of those other places, or Slovakia. And then she, again, from the very beginning, her, she had a passport for foreigners issued by the German Embassy in London, and it was stamped with the letter J, a red letter J, indicating that she was a Jew, and throughout the occupation she said, this was a mistake. I don't know how this happened. I'm not Jewish, my parents aren't Jewish, my grandparents weren't Jews, I have no idea why this J is on my document. I'm not a Jew, don't put me on the list. She went on the list. Because that's the way the Channel Islands officials operated. If there was any question, they went on the list. And there actually weren't very many questions because the island officials didn't ask any questions. But that's another story. There's Marianne Grunfeld. I haven't mentioned her because Marianne didn't register as a Jew on Guernsey. She was Polish. She was Jewish. She worked on a farm. She didn't present herself for registration when Sulphur put the announcement in the local paper. And she doesn't appear on any lists of Jews in Guernsey until there's a list of three women, Spitz, Steiner, and Marianne Grunfeld, who are arrested by the Germans, escorted by the British police of Guernsey to the boat, (coughs) sent to France, arrested in France, put on a convoy that left Bordeaux and ended up in Auschwitz. These three women were killed. And they started their trip to Auschwitz on British territory, being arrested by British policemen. Nobody knows how the Germans found out about Marianne Greenfeld. There are two theories. One theory is she was denounced. But there's no evidence of that. There's certainly no documents that would indicate that she was denounced. And there's no other recorded case in the islands of anybody denouncing someone as a Jew. That's one theory on which people operate. The other theory is that she was identified in a very early document as a foreign national because she was a Pole. And she was identified in another document as an essential agricultural worker because she worked on a farm on Bernstein. And essential agricultural workers were given some special privileges in the early days of the occupation. The speculation of the second theory is some sharp-eyed German saw Marianne Grunfeld Polish and thought, we'd better find out a bit more about this person because she could be Jewish. And eventually she was arrested along with the other two women from the hospital and, as I said, put on a boat to France and then put on a train uh, to Poland. Now we'll come back to Nathan Davidson. We remember Nathan, who was a Christian. He owned a news agent and a very small grocery shop uh, just outside of St. Helier, just on the outskirts of St. Helier. He didn't know about his grandparents. He technically speaking wasn't a Jew. He was registered as a Jew by Clifford d'Orange, by Bail of Coutange, by the Attorney General De Rey and the Germans considered him to be Jewish because he appeared on the list compiled by the local officials. Nathan Davidson's shop. There he is. I have the honor to acknowledge the receipt of your letter of January the 3rd, 1941, on the subject of Jewish undertakings. The businesses of Mr. Davidson and of Mrs. Goldman, which I'll come to in a minute must, I am informed by the Field Commandant, be wound up by January 29, 1941, and I would be glad to know when these matters are fully arranged accordingly. Signed by the bailiff of Jersey, who swore an oath of allegiance to his Britannic Majesty, to the Attorney General, who swore an oath of allegiance to his Britannic Majesty, both of whom are barristers, both of whom went to law school in this country, exchanging official correspondence, Aryanizing a business. <coughs> but of course, nothing much happened. <clears throat> I have to remember, all of these, nothing much happened. So, Nathan Davidson's shop was closed. Is as simple as that, he, he wrote a letter back to the Attorney General and said, "I put a sign up in my shop. It's closed now. I'm out of business." And that was until we come to the next bit of the story. That's what happened to Nathan Davis. Here's Hein Goldman, who, of course, said he was a Jew. He identified himself as a Jew, and by the way, he was again born in Birmingham so he was a British Jew to whom nothing happened, according to the official story. Here's the letter, which I won't read in total, and I'll just summarize the story. What happened was, he was married to Ada Goldman, who was not Jewish. She was born in Warwickshire. Ada Goldman claimed that she owned the store, not Han. That it was her shop, not his shop. That they were separated as to property when they married. That they didn't really live together as man and wife, and he simply lived with her as a tenant. She didn't have anything to do with him. She owned the shop. She had the business license for the shop. And therefore, it was not a Jewish undertaking, because she was not Jewish. She went to see the attorney general, and he said, there's nothing I can do. So being quite a forthright woman, she went to the Germans, and she said, I'm not a Jew, you can't close my shop. It's not a Jewish undertaking. And the Germans wrote back to the bailiff and said, This woman claims she's not a Jew. And if that's true, and she owns the shop, it's not a Jewish undertaking, and it can't be closed. So go and investigate this, please. And so you have this now wonderful case where the attorney general and the bailiff are investigating not only who owns the shop, but whether the person who owns the shop is Aryan, that's the word that occurs in the correspondence, or Jewish. And this is what they're doing. Of course, nothing much is happening in any of this. And that's the outcome. The outcome is she swears an affidavit with her solicitor, present in the Attorney General's office, and the Attorney General passes the information on to the Germans, and the Germans decide this is not a Jewish undertaking, and she keeps her shop. And that's what happened in this particular case. So she's saved, and the shop is saved. But the shop is saved only by, and this is where uh, I bring your attention to the work of my colleague Richard Weisberg from Cardozo Law School in New York City. The problem with all of these arguments that I've been presenting is that they're based on what Richard Weisberg calls the hermeneutic of acceptance. That is, they work as technical legal arguments only if you accept the normative foundation. That is, if you accept that there's a valid legal category called Jew and another valid legal category called Aryan, and you accept that you can treat people who fall in one category or the other differently from people in the other category, then you can make a technical argument who's a Jew, who's an Aryan, who who owns the shop, who doesn't own the shop. But that's simply accepting the normative validity of the Nazi legal regime. He argues you should make what he calls a jugular argument. That is, we don't accept the normative presuppositions of this legal regime. They're pernicious, they're immoral, they're not British. They violate all of our fundamental principles and we won't have anything to do with them. We're not going to identify Jews, we're not going to decide who's an Aryan, we're not going to be involved in this. That, of course, didn't happen. So then the next best scenario is the, well, can we engage in this hermeneutic of acceptance argument and try and save some people? As you can see from the registration documents in both Jersey and Guernsey, All but two or three people could have been saved from being registered as Jews, but that would have required Clifford Orange to say to them when they showed up, go away. I don't know why you're here, I don't want to know why you're here, but the information you've given me, you're not a Jew. Go away. Or it would have required Coutanche and Duréaubin, lawyers, to look at the files and say, there's no proof here, these people aren't Jews don't send these files to the Germans. That didn't happen. They sent the files to the Germans, and things just got worse. So, how am I doing here? Okay, got a few points. Okay, this then this is what happened. This is the deportation list from Guernsey, or it's part of the deportation Guernsey. Uh, In retaliation for the mass arrest of German citizens in Tehran, apparently, Hitler personally ordered the deportation of British citizens from the Channel Islands. And so a list of British citizens, politically undesirable natives of Jersey and Guernsey, high-ranking masons, and Jews was compiled or to be put on the list to be deported. Uh, and you can see from this, uh, at the very bottom, it's Henry Ducman, who is the husband of Elizabeth Ducman. And it says, the final column is the reason for deportation, the basis for the deportation. And Henry Dukeman is deported, and the basis is his wife is a Jew. That's why he's deported. So not only did nothing much happen to British Jews, but nothing much happened to their families. So not only did nothing much happen to British Jews. But nothing much happened to their families either. (laughs) They just got put on lists and then put on ships and sent to Germany. But nothing much happened. So that's what happened to them. This is Clifford Orange. This is, I'll I'll try quickly. (laughs) This is uh, the order relating to Jewish property. And this is a letter that was sent to Clifford Orange by uh, a firm of solicitors and barristers on the island uh, because all Jewish property had to be reported under the second order. And these people were administered because all of the individuals here are not on Jersey anymore, they're gone. But their property is still there. So the islander, the island lawyers, again, all of whom are basically trained at Oxford. Any versions on <laughs> any universities. They write this letter. We beg to report to you we are acting for Mr. Sidney Bernard Padro, Mr. Jack Morris Israel, and Mrs. Catherine Pauline Hill, Nae Jacobs, widow of Mr. Albert Walter Albert Russell Hill, all of whom are at present out of the island. As you will observe, Mr. Padro, Mr. Israel, and Mrs. Hill, named Jacobs, all bear names which we believe are of Jewish origin. We have, however, no knowledge as to whether our clients are of the Jewish faith, and it has been impossible for us to ascertain any accurate information on the map. So the lawyers looked at their client list, the properties that they administered. They saw Jewish-sounding names. That's basically what they saw. And they had a choice. Like Clifford Orange and like Coutanche, they could have done nothing. They could simply have done nothing, because as they say, We have no evidence, we have no evidence about these people. But, just to be safe, because these names sound like they might be Jewish, tell us what we should do. Well, it should come as no surprise whatsoever that Clifford Orange thought, you better report this, because these people are possibly Jews. So, please do this. And then we come to the slightly more complicated part of the story, because Mrs. Catherine Pauline Hill, named Jacobs, has the same surname as John Jacobs, who is a registered Jew. The first letter that comes back to uh, Coutange from the German field command says, look, there's no basis here at all. These names, they might be Jewish, they might not be Jewish. Certainly, Jacobs isn't necessarily a Jewish name. Uh, so really, they're probably not Jewish. But we notice on the list of registered Jews that there's a John Jacobs. So if John Jacobs is Jewish, then Mrs. Catherine Pauline Hill, nay Jacobs, might be Jewish. So could you please find out? Is she related to John Jacobs, who's registered as a Jew? Now, There are several questions we can ask here, for one of which is, why did they identify her maiden name at all? Why did they insist on doing it that way when they didn't really have to, since she was not married anymore, she was a widow? Uh, So, it didn't really matter. In any event, a long series of interviews take place. Clifford Arrange summons John Jacobs to come to the office to explain to him whether he's related to Mrs. Hill, Mae Jacobs. He's too sick, he's dying of tuberculosis. So he sends his wife, and she says, I don't know, because I don't know, because I'm not a Jacobs. But I think my husband thinks she might be related. But also, she has said she doesn't think that she's related to us. So Orange duly notes all of this and sends a report off to the bailiff, who then sends it on to the Germans. We say, well, because there's an indication that she might be related, we better put her on the list and we'd better arianize her property. At which point, the lawyers themselves go to see Mr. Jacobs, who again is dying in his bed. They go <coughs> to interview him and report back to Orange and to the bailiff more precisely. Uh, we talk to Mr. Jacobs and he says they're not related. And not only does he say they're not related, but he also probably isn't a Jew, by the way, because he says he's a Christian, which is of course something that could have been done two or three years earlier, which may well have avoided all of this schmazel that occurred as a result of this. But in the end, the Germans decided that there's not enough evidence that she was Jewish. So the people who were willing to listen to the legal arguments about who is and who isn't a Jew were the Germans. And the people who were unwilling to listen to any of this were the British Oxford-trained ruling elite uh, of the islands. And it's a long and complicated story that I won't really bore you with today. But in the correspondence from the lawyers, there's an insistence that uh, her husband, He's dead, Mrs. Gill's husband. She's the widow. He was an Aryan. That's what they said Her husband was an Arian. And so we can presume that she was not Jewish because she was married to an Arian. Uh, and this happens sort of pretty consistently throughout the whole sad tale. What happens to John Jacobs? John Jacobs dies from tuberculosis. Uh, his family go into his room and they discover he hasn't been taking his medication. And the reason he hasn't been taking his medication is because he was afraid that if he got better, he would be deported. What happened to Nathan Davidson, whose shop was Aryanized? Nathan Davidson went insane and died in the mental hospital in St. Helier. What happened to Victor Emmanuel, another one of the Jews to, which, to whom not much, not much happened? Victor Emmanuel killed himself after he received his deportation notice. Most of the other Jews, as I said, were eventually deported to Germany. John Max Finkelstein was the one who ended up in the sort of the horror system. The others went uh, to the civilian camps where the Channel Islanders. Uh, And there he is, Lord Coutanche, who for his services to the crown during the occupation was, first of all, knighted, and then some years later, ennobled. This statue appears on the States Building in St. Helier, directly below the balcony on which the official liberation of the island of Jersey was announced in 1945. Uh, Victor Carey, who was the bailiff of uh, Guernsey, didn't uh, become a lord, but he did receive a knighthood, as did the attorneys general of Jersey and Guernsey for services to the crown uh, during the occupation. So, nothing much happened. A few people died. Hein Goldman, by the way, whose whose shop was not Aryanized because it belonged to his wife, who was an Aryan, uh, he survived the war. It's reported that he survived the war and wasn't deported because he was a beekeeper. And the Channel Islands, especially after the invasion of France, were cut off from everything. You couldn't get to France for supplies, you couldn't get supplies coming from France. Uh, And as a beekeeper, he produced sugar which the Germans wanted and needed, so he was saved. Uh, he was also clinically depressed, you would say now, and he killed himself in 1950, apparently because he couldn't live with the nightmares of the occupation anymore. So uh, three Jews from Guernsey went to Auschwitz. Some Jews on Jersey killed themselves. Some were arrested and deported. Uh, One went insane and died in a mental hospital. But of course, nothing much happened. And of course, Hein Goldman was English. John Jacobs was English. Samuel Selig Simon, uh, who also died during the occupation, uh, he was English. He was Jersey. He was born in Jersey. So the notion that there was ever a distinction between foreign-born and British Jews uh, is—it's not only problematic, but it's completely untrue. So, uh, quite contrary to the principles of British justice, but apparently good enough to get a knighthood. They give knighthoods. <laughs>